Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm Paula and I'm so grateful that you're here and I'm so looking forward to sharing this heartfelt and deep conversation that I had with Krishna Das while I was in Baja just two weeks ago. Um, We filmed this live, we recorded this live uh, with birds in the background. We were in the open air um, as the sun was setting. You may hear the waves. You may hear the wind in the palms. We did the best we could with sound on location. So do forgive any of that. uh, If you're hearing that, hopefully it's calming to your nervous system. And it was such an honor to be able to talk to him because He's had a lifetime of practice and has such beautiful insights that he was sharing throughout the week. This was a bhakti retreat, so it was very much focused on the path of devotion. We were chanting, we were doing yoga. Nina Rao and Scott Blossom, two of my other teachers and friends, were there. And so we were able to just have this experience that I've been craving, you know, in the pandemic of being close with people and being in community and having that satsanga, that that communal ability to be together in, you know, spiritual community. So for most people in the yoga world, Krishna Das, or KD, as he's affectionately referred to as, does not need an introduction, but he is a kirtan chant singer and has been called yoga's rock star. He has a soulful baritone voice that you've likely heard if you've been in a yoga class. Uh, And he does a kind of call and response form of chanting. So when you go to see him live, it's really, it's an experiential process that's happening, which is called bhakti or devotion. He's also been nominated for a Grammy and has traveled all over the world leading kirtan and singing with people. He's also the center of a film called One Track Heart, the story of Krishna Das. So if you have not seen that, it's a wonderful film and it tells you a little bit more about his life. If you want to learn more, you can go to krishnadas.com. So Krishna Das is somebody that I was so blessed to meet on my very first trip to India, which was 10 years ago. It was the same moment that I met Scott Blossom and also Dr. Robert Svoboda, which if you go back to my story podcast, which is episode three, you will hear a little bit about that. I don't know if I mentioned Krishna Das in there, but I was telling the story of how I met my teacher, Dr. Robert Svoboda in that podcast. And I, it was at the same moment, Krishna Das was at the same retreat center. So I have this wonderful experience of just kind of knowing him as a person before I really got to know him as a musician. And saying that, you know, I was in yoga classes and his music was being played, but I had not bought any of his albums. I didn't even know who was singing because the yoga the yoga studio that I went to was largely focused on Buddhism. And so I didn't get an introduction to the ways of India through the yoga tradition. It really came later after practicing for about 10 years. So meeting Krishna Das, really getting to know him. He's such a beautiful storyteller, which you'll experience in this interview. He's got wonderful stories about Maharaji. You'll hear us go right into that at the beginning. And that is his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, uh, who left his body, I believe it was in the 70s. I should probably look that up. It was also Ram Das's guru. And Ram Das was really the one who began brought his knowledge of Maharaji to the West and was introduced him to so many people, including Krishna Das, who went back to meet Maharaji with Ram Das later. So he'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. He also talks about karma and how it's actually liberation. And I love some of the language he uses here. And we talk about how 
the guru kind of helps us work through our desires in their highest forms and uses it as a transformation for us and how the guru is not necessarily somebody outside of us. So he'll explain some of that because I know a lot of people long to have that kind of relationship with a person in the body. So he talks a little bit about that and what drew him in initially, like when he met Ramdas, what was drawing him to go meet this man. He also talks about the path of bhakti, uh, how what is happening when we're chanting. It's really a beautiful conversation. So I, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that it enlightens you in some way because the energy of Baha was really beautiful and you can feel that in this interview. I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who've been listening to the podcast, who've been sharing it. If you feel like somebody you know would enjoy this podcast, please do share it. Thank you for the the reviews and things that you've left. I just so appreciate it. This podcast is really a labor of love. It's it's something that really I enjoy doing so much. It's like my art. So I just appreciate that you're here, that you're listening, and that you're sharing it with others. So thank you so much. Enjoy this interview with Krishna Das. Hello, Krishna Das. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're sitting here in Baja. I don't get to do things live very much right now. So this is kind of a treat because just to describe, like, we're looking out over the ocean and the sun is setting and it's just absolutely gorgeous. So we're savoring a nice little moment here. So there's so many things I could ask you, but you were talking today about Maharaji and how he wanted you to fulfill your desires. And so something I'm interested in in this podcast is talking about people's journey and understanding how they came to know what their purpose is. You know, I I wouldn't, to be more succinct than, I wouldn't say that I, that Maharaji wanted people to do, to, satisfy their desires but the point is that there's a, a shloka about hanuman which i can't remember the sanskrit but the translation is that hanuman gives liberation by allowing the seeker to merge into his state and at the same time satisfy the desires that he needs to satisfy it is not a renunciate situation it honors the karmas you come into the life with that certain people that all of us have lots of desires and certain but he allows us to it allows us to satisfy the desires that are beneficial to us and the other ones they are not part of the show so to speak but i wouldn't attribute wanting to maharaji that that's that was the issue with what you said he's just he's a he's a liberation machine i mean he's you know there's a there's a hymn to him called the Vinaya Chalisa, which has a really interesting history. I won't get into it right now, but and it's very descriptive of him. And one of the things says he wanders around like a god, distributing alms. That's what he does. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. That's all he does is give and take away negativity and suffering and disease and pain. And he's here to ripen his the people who are connected with him and allow them to continue on their path to whatever, whatever you want to call that. And so for many of us, and he was very much in the world too. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't disappear into the Himalayas and uh, he didn't, he was available to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people wherever he went. The city grew up instantly, you know, and he didn't run away from that. He wasn't, he, he was here for that. There's actually an amazing story that Mr. Tuari told me about one day. Maharaji was, they were walking down the street in Vrindavan and coming the other way was the sadhu, you know, the jatta and the ashes and everything, you know. And he and Maharaji saw each other and they went running and hugging and dancing together and they were so happy to see each other. And and the, the sadhu says, oh, Baba, it's so great. It's so many years since I've seen you. This is so wonderful. This is so great. And yeah, they're happy, 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 happy. So then when that passed, Maharaji says, okay, brother, I have to go now. 
And he says, no, 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 I, you, you can't go. I'm going with you. And Maharaj said, oh, no, no, you don't want to come with me. Yeah, you don't. I, no, no, I'm not leaving you. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm with worldly people all the time. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. Don't, you don't want, I'm not leaving you. Okay, jello, let's go. So they started walking in the middle of the day, in the middle of the summer, to Mathura from Vrindavan. And at that time, there was nothing in between. It's desert. And they were dying of thirst. And in the distance, they saw a well. And they went running towards the well. And there was a woman getting water from the well, drawing water from the well. And Maharaji got there first, and he puts his hands out like this, and the woman pours water in, and Maharaji drinking the water. And while that's happening, the sadhu gets there, and he puts his hands out, and she starts pouring water. And as that's happening, Maharaji's chatting her up, like, what's your name, what's your village, what's your caste? So it turns out she was an untouchable. And the sadhu, he didn't put his hands out, he put his kamandalu out, his clay pot, his clay gourd pot, uh, which he carried. And she was pouring the water in there. And when he heard that she was an untouchable, he flipped and he takes the thing and he mashes it on the ground and he's yelling at Maharaji, what have you done? Look what you've done. Look what's happened. This is my, I needed this everywhere. This was my only possession. I needed Maharaji's going, what, 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 what happened? What happened? Oh, oh, I thought you were sadhu. I thought you were sadhu. What's going, what's going on? And Maharaji says, you know, I thought you were sadhu. He's saying, what's attachment for a sadhu? He's saying. And the guy, Tuari said, Maharaji said to him, he washed my feet with his tears. And went back to finish his work mm-hmm. in the Himalayas. So nothing could touch Maharaja. He wasn't untouchable or the highest. It made no difference to him. He had no, he was completely free. And he tried to warn the sadhu too out of the softness of his heart. No, 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 you don't want to come with me. You, it's going to hurt. <laughs> but the sadhu said, I can't leave. And that was what everybody, you loved him so much, you couldn't bear to be away from him. And that, love forced you to let go of stuff because it come close to him like a moth to a flame. You had to let go. You were going to be burnt. The, the negativity, the attachments had to get burnt in order for you to come close. And You know, what I was thinking about is that you, what you said also today was that you had the strong desire to be a, like a rock star when you were younger. You were telling the story of how you actually got invited to become a rock star in the moment that you had already made the decision that you were going to follow Ramdas's yeah, footsteps. And so, but you said, but look at me, you know. Yeah, and, look, and look at now. Like, I'm so, doing so, just what I wanted to do, and it's good for me. Yes. Maharaji was kind of working through, helping you work through your desires in a positive way. Would you say that? Absolutely. Like he, he was he's transforming. Me, he's letting me fulfill the vasanas and, and follow along with what I wanted to do in life but in a completely different way, in a way that's not just healthy, but dharmically uh, extraordinary. He took that and he, he transmuted it and dross into gold, you know. That's, and he does that with everybody. I am thrilled to share with you an opportunity to get a hold of my handpicked lay low dates for 2022, as well as success dates to help you with launches, with signing contracts, with making big decisions in your business. If you would like that, it's called the 2022 Astrology Guidebook, and it's at my website, weaveyourbliss.com. You'll see it right at the top in the red bar. So get a hold of it. It's $33 and 100% of profits go to an indigenous-led environmental organization. So I hope that's a huge help for you. Also, there's a link where you can drop it directly into your Google Calendar, meaning it's all there for you. You don't have to do anything and you can plan around those dates. So I hope that's helpful to you. everybody. You were saying as well that desire is not bad. You know, desire is like an indicator of something that we need to fulfill or how would you put that? What's what's bad in the sense of that harmful to us is our attachments. 
desire is natural. The body needs certain things. I remember I was in Hong Kong, singing in Hong Kong, and I went up on top of the mountain there, looking down on Hong Kong. I could not believe it. Have you ever been there? Skyscraper after skyscraper, packed, and they're knocking down the ones that are like 10 years old and putting up brand new ones and new ones. And there was ships in the harbor and planes were landing and people were like ants. And I thought, what happened? All you have to, you could live under a tree. You have to eat, drink, sleep, and f***. What more do you need? Why? What is all this shit here? You know, that, that greed, human greed. And, and, and the greed comes from not being able to be satisfied by stuff. But human beings, we just go after more and more and more and more stuff, more of this, more of that, more of this, more of that. And this is what happens. It was crazy to look down at, at Hong Kong and just, how did this happen, you know? We were living under a tree. We were happy, you know? Wow. Can you take us back to, like, the moment you met Ram Dass, and you, you said today also that you were feeling Maharaji speaking through him, and, like, what drew you in about that, and what made you want to go and meet this man? The minute I met Ram Dass, the minute I walked into the room where he was sitting, without any eye contact, without a word being spoken, he was just sitting with his eyes closed in the corner, I walked into the room. At, at that moment, I knew that whatever it is, was, what I was looking for was real. It was real. And it was in the world. You could find it. And that was, that was Maharaji. And that was my first time that I could, that I remember, I, you know, literally feeling that. It was totally different than anything I'd ever felt. It was, it's real, it's in the world, and you can find it. And that was, because remember, this is the 60s. There's a couple of books, you know, there's a few books on this stuff. There isn't medit- there's hardly any meditation, and certainly no asana practice. No, I mean, not like now. Now you can trip over the shit. You walk down the street. <laughs> it just wasn't, and this was like life changing. That was the moment that my life just went in, in that direction. What would you say is the thing you, you were looking for? Like if you could say it in words. Connection be recognized the connection to, to life you know I was so my heart was so uh, damaged and closed and isolated that I couldn't connect with people really even though most people I seemed very gregarious you know very at ease and happy but that wasn't the inner reality of course you could say love real love you know Love doesn't, the word just doesn't get close to the reality. The feeling of being home, of the rightness of it all. Ah, okay, I'm here. This is, I'm home. This is, and that's how we felt with Maharaj. You know. He did that. He, he, he gave us that. He transmitted that to us and then sent us back into our lives. <laughs> he used to tease us. He said, I'll, he said, I'll, I, he used to say, I have the keys to the mind. I'll transfer you. you I'll make you forget me. Baba, don't do that. He wouldn't laugh. Ah. But actually, that's what he did. When it was time, your time to go, you were just gone. Some, not too long ago, I was in India, and this couple came that hadn't been back to India or the temple since Maharaji had left the body, like 20 years or more, 30 years. And while we were chanting by Maharaji's temple, I, I looked over and I saw the woman standing on the steps by the Maharaj's tucket where he used to see people outside on, on the porch. And I thought, whoa, something's going on there. It was just I had this feeling, the way she was standing there. So after we finished singing, she came over to me and she said, Krishnanath, I think you're the only one here who could understand what I'm going to say. And what? She said, um, I was standing on those steps over there just now, looking at the tucket, the bench where he used to sit. And I remember standing in that exact same space 40 years ago. I remember standing there looking at him and knowing that this is where I would always be. And I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and I'll always be right here. And she looks at me and she said, what happened? Our whole life happened. Kids 
business, marriage, cars, houses, you know, the feeling she had 40 years ago was what he was transmitting. You're here, you're home, you're in there, your heart is good, you're in the right place. But then the flow, the karmic realities of what we need to do, what we have in our hearts, buried in our subconscious, that all has to come out. So he transferred her back into her life, just like he transferred me and transferred everybody. Nobody stayed with him all the time. And he used to say, the amount of time two people are together is written. And it can't, it, it's just what it is. You know, it, you can't extend it, you can't shorten it. It's, it's, it's written. So everyone will have to part from everyone else sooner or later, even if it's at death, one has to part. And you know, so one time I said to Siddhima, I said, Ma, Maharaji said he has the keys to the mind. So that means to me that I am where he wants me to be, where he puts me. So, Ma, is my effort required or is it all his grace? What's the deal? She smiled and she just said, Krishna, it's all grace but you have to act like it isn't. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That leads me right into what I wanted to talk about, which is surrender, you know, because I think, especially in the West, we think we're doing so much of what's happening. And you were talking a little bit about that today too, is like the importance of surrendering, what that even means. But we don't surrender. We are surrendered by grace Mm. when we're ripe. Surrender is not just... Devotion is not just the path, it's the goal. Ramon Maharshi said, invocation is your true nature. The soul is always bowing to love. It's always, it's a part of that. It's always invoking its own essence, which is real love, which is truth, reality, consciousness, bliss, whatever you want to call it. You don't surrender. The ego, and he also said, asking the mind or the ego to kill the mind or the ego is like asking the police, asking the thief to be the policeman. There'll be a lot of investigation. No arrest will ever be made, (laughs) you know? So we don't do that. I'm not going to surrender. I don't want to. My ego doesn't want to give up. But surrender happens when you're ripe, when you've gone through enough experiences to that have revealed to you what this is all about. And finally, you just go, ah. And then you don't fight anymore. Then you really... You, you're at home within yourself. But that's a, big, that's a big thing. That's not something like a, it happens by grace, they say. But then again, like Siddhima said, it's, it's all grace, but you have to act. So we, it means we have to, we have, if you have choices, if you think you have choices to make, you make them. But you try to make the best choices you can. But you don't up-level like, oh, it's all done. I have nothing to do. And then you get hit by a car, you know, because you're not looking where you're walking. It's not like that. There's, so the, the way she said that is just the way the Buddhists talk about ultimate reality and relative reality. Relative reality is this world. The sun sets, the sun rises, There is we, we're going here and there, all kinds of things are happening. But outside of time, nothing ever happens in ultimate reality. Relative reality, our world is within ultimate reality. So effort is within grace, but grace is not within effort. Ultimate reality is not within relative reality. So this world has rules and regulations. You cut yourself, you bleed. So on that level, we believe, we think we have choices to make, so we do. But when I look back at my life, even though it's easy to think that I made choices here and there and remember how I was You can see when you step back, oh, somebody else is pulling the strings. You know, I just, I just thought I was making a choice, but really it was already done, like the story of meeting Maharaji in Allahabad. We were arguing, should we go to Delhi? He's, we'll ask the Indian devotees where he is. No, let's go see the Mela site. Oh, arguing fiercely. Okay, look, we'll go to the Mela site, then we'll get right back on the bus and go to, go to Delhi. So we go to the Mela site, and there he is. 
<laughs> and then we get to to the house, then he tells us to follow this rickshaw and this big Mercedes bus through the little streets. We get to Dada's house and we get, oh, come in and have your meal. Our, our meal? Yes, this morning Maharaji told everybody to prepare food for 27 people, the driver and 26 people. Who made the decision? We thought we were making the decision. We did. We really did. We weren't, eh, you know. What do you want to do? I want to go there. No, I want to go there. What, okay, let's compromise. We thought we were making a decision, but it was already done. The food was made already for hours before we got there. So surrender is allowing things to unfold without trying to manipulate them for your own benefit. I think so many people listening, this comes up a lot where people are like, I want to have the experience of having a guru so that I truly believe that there's something beyond or that I know what to do. Mm. So how, and you said something today as well about like, maybe you don't need a guru in the body. Like how can we, if you, if you meet one in the body, then you, then that was what, if you don't, you don't. Yeah, I mean, right. So how do you, how do you, you talk to wait people? around? Right. Somebody <laughs> show up when you want me going to starve yourself. No, you have to eat. You have to watch TV. There's things to do. You're going to live your life. But how do you live your life then? The unfortunate situation is in the West, um, everywhere probably, but we think guru is outside of us. We think guru is a human being like us because we identify, we're identified with our body and our thoughts and our emotions. We think a guru is something outside of that, someone else. It's exactly the opposite. Guru is actually who you really are. Guru is what's hearing through your ears and seeing through your eyes. It's the awareness, the consciousness within you. A real guru is has become that consciousness. Sat, chit, ananda. That's one of the ways you describe it. Truth, consciousness or awareness, and ecstasy, bliss. That's the reality. That's who you are when you finish thinking you are who you think you are. That's guru. But people are just silly. You know, they, they, you think you can order a guru out on a takeout menu. You know, it just doesn't work like that. So either you get with the program or you suffer. And the program is to accept yourself as it is, as you are, and live your life as if it really matters. If you don't live your life if it matters, you'll never find either yourself or your group. But live your life like it really matters what you do. It really matters that you make the right choices for yourself and the people around you. It's, it, and it really does matter because every thought, every action is karma. Everything you do creates karma. If your motivation for doing things is negative, you're creating negative karmas, which cause suffering. If your motivation is positive in one form and compassionate and kind, that's what's created. So we're creating... See, karma is not a death sentence. Karma is, is, a, is liberation. It matters what you do. If it didn't matter, then, of course, then there's no karma, and then there's no, there's nothing, then there's no liberation either mm -hmm. from suffering. But the laws of karma are the laws of how to get liberated. Cause and effect is very simple, but it's so complicated because of all our lives, they say, and all our interactions with different beings that only a fully enlightened being can, can really see all the, all the karmic stuff in being and know what to do. A real guru, a sadguru, a real guru, Buddha, a Buddha. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets, and it goes in-depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us, and what to do about it. You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology, what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. So what role does practice play? Like, you know, you said, what are you going to do with your time? <laughs> but, well, but is practice, you know, the key here? Is it a what? Having some kind of practice, is that the key to keeping yourself in line? 
Oh, no, you don't want to keep yourself in line. That's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> Keeping yourself in circle? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You want to recognize that your own actions, that you're responsible for your own actions. You want to recognize that the seeds you yourself have planted in your mind stream, in your life stream in the past, are what created this moment right now. What we plant now will manifest in the future. What we plant now is not, it's not total free will because we are programmed mm -hmm. right now. Right now we're programmed. We don't have free will, actually. We have it, but we don't know where it is. For instance, you see people, I can smoke if I want to. Sure you can. You can kill yourself if you want to. But if you had free will, you wouldn't be hurting yourself. There would be no desire to punish yourself or end your life. You would understand what things are. So... It's very unfortunate that people don't understand that, that their lives, every minute of their lives do matter. There's no time off for karma. Everything creates karma. So if you want to have love, happiness, joy, and good things, good good feelings, and you want to feel ultimately to, to merge with the universe, you have to plant the seeds for that. And about practice, Ramakrishna the great saint from the eight, in India, the 1800s, said that every repetition of one of these names, these mantras, these names of God, as they call them in India, every single one has power. Every repetition has power. Even if the results are not immediate, it's a seed that's planted. And just like a tiny little seed grows into an oak tree, the tiniest little repetition of the name will manifest. And he said that these seeds of the repetition of the name get caught by the wind and they get blown and they land on the roof of an old house. And the roof is made of clay tiles. And back in those 1800s, the tiles were hard, but not super hard. They, and over time, and the, the seeds of the repetition of the name get caught between the tiles and they sit there and they get rained on and snowed on and the sunlight, everything. And over time and seasons, the tiles begin to soften. And, and then the seeds begin to take root. So in other words, you have two things. You have the planting of the seeds, and then you have the causes and conditions that allow the seeds to grow. Both are karmically determined. Okay, but one we have control over in this life, which is the planting of the seeds. But as far as the arising of the causes and conditions... That's beyond our, this lifetime ability. But all we can do is plant seeds. We don't know when they're going to grow. So over time and seasons, those clay tiles start to soften. And the seeds begin to take root. And they grow and they grow. And they wind up destroying the roof of the house. And they keep growing. And they destroy the walls of the house. That house is who we think we are. Mm -hmm. Our conventional sense of selfness, which is me, 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 me. And so what, and that, what is a house? What is an ego? It's a temporary structure created for certain reasons, but and by certain causes. And those causes are destroyed. The, the fruit of those causes is destroyed by the repetition of the name. We're freed from the prison of that house. And then the space inside the house and the space outside the house become recognized as not different. They were never different. But now, without the walls, you become the whole universe. You're everywhere, all, you know. And nothing is lost. Everything is gained. And so that's how he says the repetition of the name works, practice-wise. And so that's the surrendered. Hmm? Is that what you're talking about, as the surrendered state, or being surrendered rather than surrendering? The last brick of the wall of that house falls over. Well, that's surrender. That's that's the recognition of being at one. But you have to plant the seeds. So I'm curious because you said you you got a download about what you should be doing and that it was singing with people. And so you know this <clears throat> podcast is largely about living in your purpose. Like, how can you better access what that is? How can you? Like, what does that mean? So what does that mean to you? And what was 
How did you get that download and follow it? I walked from one room to the other and I was hit by a lightning bolt. You know, it was Maharaj just saying, okay, boom. And I understood intuitively that if I did not sing with people, I would never clean out the dark corners of my own heart. And I understood intuitively that it was only those shadows that were causing me suffering. So what's, where's, what's the, you know, okay, that's clear. So I had to sing with people if I wanted to be, if I didn't want to suffer. <laughs> and if I wanted to free myself from pain and suffering, this, that's what I had to do. To just extend that outwards to other people. You know, the whole path, as far as I can see, is we have to learn to trust ourselves. If we don't trust ourselves, where are we, how are we going to feel what we want to feel? If we don't allow ourselves to breathe and be and, and, and listen to ourselves and hear what our hearts want. You know, if someone tells you something, some teacher gives you some teaching, and you, you follow that teaching because it feels right to you. It's not right to them or it's the person next to you. It feels right to you, so you follow that teaching until it doesn't. And it doesn't feel right to you, you, you stop. But if you don't listen to yourself, you don't know. You, we have to trust ourselves. When I started singing, nobody was doing that. I didn't know how to, what I was going to do. I just started singing. And everything happened, you know, I mean. So you kept going based on faith that, that you were on the right path. Well, it didn't come out of nowhere. Let's face it. I mean, I had been with Maharaji for two and a half years. I knew that the repetition of the name was powerful practice because he always said that. He always would say, from repeating these names, the names of God, everything is accomplished. He said that over and over to us. If I really believed that, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be sitting in the corner repeating the name, you know. But to the extent that my karmas allow, I do the best I can. So, I mean, I, had, I was prepared for this in that way. But did he ever tell me to go forth and multiply? No. Never. He never go forth and sing with everybody who travel the world and enlighten the universe. No, he, he, that's not what he did. He just wrote the script. I had to figure it out as I went. It's so fascinating, though. You gave me your chart in advance of this discussion, you know, mm. and I found out that we're both Leo rising. Leos are very... What are we rising? Leo. So, Leo like, rising. Leo's very performative, you know, but you've got your son in the 10th, which is also like, you need to be out front, you need to be in the world. Mm -hmm. But then you have this combination of Jupiter and Moon aspecting on to <clears throat> Mars and Venus in the ninth and the third. The ninth is the spiritual house. Mm -hmm. And having all those creative planets, those passion planets, it's like guarantees that you're going to have a creative approach to spirituality that's going to inspire other people. Uh -huh. you know? So it's well, pretty cool. That's good. <laughs> you fulfilled that. <laughs> At least I'm with the program. You know? That's good. But more than anything, you know, in the old days in India, the, my, the thing I loved second most, the thing I loved most was looking at him. The thing I loved second most was standing at the side, kind of behind him, and watching the faces of people who came to him. And watch them go from small and bent over and scrunched and closed and grief-stricken and to just opening and flowering like a flower, you know. It was the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine to see somebody just open like that. And, you know, that's what I see when I sing. That's what happens. I get to see that. Because I it, I don't think I'm singing, by the way. It just looks like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, you know, I, I, other people can say what they want. You know, oh, thank you, thank you. And I think, I think you're welcome. Thank you, yes. But I, I know what's happening. It just looks like me. But that's okay. I, I can accept that now. But it doesn't mean I think it's me. I mean, what do I, if somebody has a dream of Maharaji, what do I have to do with that? You know, I can't even get a dream of him. So it's not up to me. I mean, it's him doing what he does. And that's, praise the Lord, he, he's allowing me to serve him. He goes, this is Hanuman. That's what Hanuman does. Mm -hmm. He serves Ram. He serves that love all the time. And so I just, I just do the best I can with my limited means, my cranky old joints, my brain that doesn't function very well. I'll just keep doing what I can do as long as I can do. Can you say a little bit about like what we're doing when we're chanting? What's, what are we 
are we trying to be more focused? Are we trying to open our heart? Like, what is our... All that's beyond our pay grade. All we have to do is pay attention to the sound of the name. When you notice you're not paying attention, you come back. Again and again and again and again and again. And if you're really paying attention, you'll notice that in one minute, you could come back a hundred times. I mean, if you really... But let's say in two minutes, you could see that you're you come and gone tens and 20, 30 times just because you, we, don't, we just can't pay attention. So the idea is we keep letting go of the, the thoughts that pull us out of ourself and come back to this moment, to this sound. See, if we don't have a practice, we have nothing to come back to because we're not, we're not, our awareness is not refined enough to be aware of itself yet. So we have to become aware of one thing, the name in this case. And it's okay. Sri Ram, De Ram, De Ram. And then you're thinking about, well, tomorrow I'll be, won't be singing. You know, oh, Sri Ram, De Ram, De You just keep coming back and the name pulls you back and you recognize you're gone and you come back. It's not our job to create anything. It's our job to just let go and come back. And then we get more at ease and more familiar with what it feels like just to be, to be present. And that's when the things start to come from inside, the intuitive understandings, the, 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 a deeper type of joy and peace come from inside. Not from, any, not from connecting to anything outside of ourselves, but from releasing what pulls us out of ourselves, which is our stuff all the time, all, day, all lifelong, mm-hmm. right? And people ask me all the time, what, do you feel? what are you feeling when you sing? I said, how do I know? Whatever it was, I let go of it right away as soon as I noticed I was thinking of it. You know, I come back to the chanting, to the sound. You want to stay with the sound and the name because the name, the sound, is the sound form of that being, of our own true nature, of that being, of God. When we enter into the flow of that form, of that sound, we're moving into our own hearts. So there's nothing that you have to feel. There's nothing you have to do. You just simply... Keep planting the seed of returning again and again and again. So I have a few rapid-fire questions for you. Are you open to that? I'm not sure if I have rapid-fire answers, but I'll do that. That's okay. (laughs) Okay, what is one piece of advice that has helped you in your life? Don't give up, period. Great. Um, So when you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what's the first thing you do to ground yourself? I go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) What if it's like 9 (laughs) a.m.? Well, yeah, then in 9 or 2, I go back to sleep. No, for me, really, honestly, when when things are really bad, hard, difficult, painful, really, you know, intense, then for me, it's Hanuman Chalisa. Absolutely. If I have to do 108 Chalisas just to shake it up a little bit, just to shift where I'm sitting... In the stuff, that's what I'll do because that's that's what's always been my deepest way of, of you know Hanuman Chalisa is Maha Mantra. Every line of Hanuman Chalisa is Maha Mantra. Maharaji said Hanuman Chalisa can change fate. Mm. So to me, that means like first of all, two things. I mean, it's like life is like a river, and there's some big rocks down there, right? So the Chalisa can move those rocks out, but also. We store so much in our subtle bodies. There's so much trauma and so much stuff stored in our subtle body. Hanuman Chalisa purifies that. Hanuman himself purifies that. And so that changes our karma. I mean, if it takes out that traumatic charge that's waiting to blossom that's as soon as the right causes and conditions. Because the causes and conditions work for both positive things and, and negative things. You can do negative karmas, but maybe not feel the result of those until the right causes and conditions come, and then, boom, mm-hmm. you lose your job, you get hit by a car, you, you know, you lose your money, all kinds of things. It has to be two things together. So we want to plant positive things, but even so, we're not resp- This is why Krishna says in the Gita, you do what you do, but the fruits of your actions... You dedicate to me. It's up to me what happens next, not you. But you still have to do the right thing. But you do it without attachment to the results. And that's that's a kind of surrender as well. Mm -hmm. That kind of action, detached action, nishkam karma. But of course, Maharaji said, 
nishkam karma or desireless action can only be done by God. Human beings can't do that. But that doesn't mean that the God in you cannot actually do that at times. But that's when your ego's out of the way, which is very rare. But that's an interesting statement. That desireless action, nishkam karma, can only be done by God. That's something you really have to think about. What does that really mean? I don't know. But he said that. He said, Tuari, he went to Mr. Tuari, he said, ah, you miserable Brahmins, misleading the people. What is it saying in the Gita? He knew it was a setup, but he's, the pat answer, you always, nishkam karma, ha, miserable Brahmins. Only God can do nishkam karma. And if you think about it, oh, wow. What do we know, huh? What do we know? Where, where we come from? Where are we going? We don't know. All we can do is pray for grace and do the best we can every day. Purify our hearts and our our actions and our thoughts and emotions and, and wait for that moment when, when, when the grace comes. So this is a lighter question for you. What is your favorite hot beverage? You mean this? Yes. A mocha espresso. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Delicious. What would your last meal on earth be? Ram Ram. <laughs> Fasting? I, ho- I hope. You would fast? Is that what you're saying? I don't care what it is. When I go out, I want to, if, if I, my head's not in the right place, I, I haven't done the right thing. Okay. Well, do you have a morning routine and what part of it is non-negotiable? Waking up is usually non-negotiable. You're not the first person <laughs> to say that. <laughs> uh, staying up is also is negotiable, though. I have a morning routine. It's very simple. Do some pranayam, do some japa. And then later in the day, I do other things. But I have to do those things before I eat, so I don't usually eat until one or two in the afternoon. <laughs> Good night. Well, I'm a musician. I get up. I go to sleep at two or three yeah. at night. Getting eight hours of sleep is already eleven o'clock by the time I get up and start doing my stuff. Lunch, and I usually only eat one major meal a day, which is around one or two in the afternoon. So it's very Ayurvedic. We won't let anyone hear it that <laughs> you stay up <laughs> until two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about a person who inspires you and why. Ramdas, mm. really. You know, not only did meeting him change my life because he was just so charged from being with Maharaji, but being with him so closely the last 20 years of his life after the stroke and watching how he and participating with him as he lived and had to deal with extraordinary pain and neuropathy and diabetes and asphasia and not being able to speak properly and not being able to wipe his own ass and not being able to turn himself in bed, not being able to change from a wheelchair to a chair by himself, how he surrendered, how he gave up pride and really surrendered to it it was so powerful. He was really a saint. I mean, it, most people, you know, wouldn't really understand what I'm saying about that. But he overcame so much heavy karmas, mm. not just the last 20 years, not just the stroke, but in his life, how he kept growing and searching for something real, you know. When he went to India the first time, he brought a bunch of acid with him because he wanted to find out what is this stuff. I know what it's done for me, but you know, I want to, somebody's got to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when he gave the, the acid to Maharaji, nothing happened. So he said, well, whatever it is, he's beyond this. Mm-hmm. Then he had that experience where his heart just opened, and, and that was it. You know? So Ramdas has been, I mean, aside from Maharaji, who's up, down, in and out, past, present, future, all around, Ramdas was the, the one who really helped me more than anybody in this life, even though we were very antag- we had antagonistic periods where we didn't talk to each other for many years and stuff like that. But there was a a real, real bond together. And we it really deepened over the last period of the wheelchair, especially the last few years. We, we, knew, we had said everything we had to say to each other, and we used to sit in silence and communicate mm-hmm. together that way for hours and hours and hours, and really feeling it. It was a great blessing. I'm glad you brought him up because I really did want to talk more about him and that really helps to, because, you know, everyone feels his loss. Yeah. <laughs> he left a big hole in the spiritual. Yeah. I feel his presence too, you know. It's not, his presence is 
so strong and Maharaj because it's mixed with Maharaj, you know, for me the it's not so he's under the blanket, let's put it that way, you know, with all the other devotees and very present, very of course I would never listen to his never follow his uh, advice on relationships. That's one thing I never follow because he was totally fucked with that stuff. But everything else was good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us something people might not know about you. I follow women's college basketball, University of Connecticut women's basketball, Connecticut basketball team. Go Huskies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you reading right now or what's a book that you would recommend? Oh, you ask me what I'm reading is different than what I would recommend. Right now I'm reading about the tulku system in Tibet and how it actually works. And I'm reading another book about dying by Tulku Tendop, who is an incredible lama, who's also very ill at this point. But for recommending to other people, I would definitely recommend the Ramayana, Bhagavad Gita. Those are not, but Tulsidas Ramayana, the Ramacharitamanas. This is what I would recommend to people if they want to get a taste of what the devotional path is about. There's nothing like that book totally rewired me. It rewires us for a different kind of love. All we know is romantic love, sexual love, physical love, emotional love. This is something else. It's just something else. And you read this book, it wires you for that. It changes your wiring. And all of a sudden, you actually can feel different things that you never felt before. So it's really wonderful. I read it first when I met Ram Dass. He lent me his copy and told me to read it. And boy, it really changes things. Beautiful. Um, so what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Something bringing me talking to you? Aw. <laughs> Being in this beautiful location by and the ocean. Going to sing in a couple of minutes. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope it for was your time. good. As we leave this interview, we are listening to the Mountain Hari Krishna from Krishna Das's album Pilgrim Heart. So I hope that you enjoy it. Hare Krishna Hare Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantuladesma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode.